you guys have a good Sabbath? You know, I really can't see you. All I can see is just shadows and darkness, but that's okay. God is faithful, and I know he's going to bless us with this final message, but he doesn't want our experience to be temporary. He wants us to carry that experience with us day in and day out. You see, here's the thing we need to understand, and that is this. More and more, as God continues to take us towards the end, more and more. You know, I, I just think specifically about Ellen White's, one of her first visions of when she was actually seeing the great Advent people. She saw in vision, one of her very first visions, she sees the people of God following Jesus. And she says, there was a light behind them and a light before them. And as they were going around this mountain, a lot of people began to fall off the way. A lot of people just gave up. They just left. She says, as they got closer and closer to their destination, some people said that God isn't really leading this movement. That God isn't really, really leading us anymore. And she says, those people turned back and they walked the other direction. But those who remain with Jesus continue to follow more and more, and the light shone brighter and brighter. God has set up this movement, and God himself will see it through. Amen? Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer, and let's ask Jesus to bless us. Father in heaven, right now we come to you in humility, thanking you, God, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your love. Jesus, we pray in this final message that you would refresh our hearts, that you would lead us closer and closer to you. And God, we just pray that we'd walk away with our hearts stirred. We pray that heaven would open up today. For this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to do my best. I may have to preach down there because I need to see my own PowerPoint. Or I'll just go like this. All right. Very good. Very good. You know what I really, really love about the Olympics? I love not everything else that takes place in the Olympics. My favorite part of the Olympics is the final scene. And it's not the final scene as it's occurring. It's the scene that takes place after the race is finished, when the swim is done, when, the, when it's finally over, and what they do, it's they do the replay. And the replays are my most favorite part. Because what you see in replays is every muscle fiber just like pulsating. You see the audience. I never forgot one time I was actually watching this Olympic run. And as they were coming right down to the final end, it was just like. And they were getting down and you could just see just the intensity of the look of the runners as they're making their final lap. And they're coming right down to that finish line. And then what's so interesting, the camera will pan into the audience, and you see people in the audience, they begin to slowly rise up. <laughs> Some people will drop their, like, Pepsi cup on the ground. Other people will push their kids off to their side. One guy's hat falls off as just that final... And they're getting right towards the very end. And all of a sudden, you see that ribbon just break. And everyone's just like, ah. And it's just an awesome experience. I don't like watching the Olympics, the rest of the Olympics, but that's my favorite part right there. The replay. It's when the crowd is going wild as they're seeing these people make that final lap. As they're reaching the finish line, they're getting right to the very end. And right now, I want to let you guys know that all of heaven 
all of heaven is seeing this final lap of earth's history. It's coming right down to the very end. And, that, and people are coming right down to that very moment where the ribbon is in sight and they're making that final lap. And everybody is going in, just going crazy seeing what's taking place. You know, we have so much to look forward, forward when it comes to heaven. A lot of people have ideas about heaven. You know what's so interesting? One day I preached a sermon about heaven and I asked this question. This was my question. I said this. How many people here could describe the color blue to me? And everyone says, yes, I could describe the color blue. So I called up my head elder. My head elder, head elder walked up to the front and he says, all right, you want me to describe the color blue? I said, yes. He says, look up into the sky. Imagine if the church roof wasn't here. And what would you see? You would see the color blue. And he says, take your tie. This is the color blue. I said, very good. You're doing excellent in trying to describe the color blue. Now imagine if I was born blind, I want you to describe the color blue to me. And there was silence. And he started turning around, thinking to himself, man, how would I describe color to somebody who was born blind? What would you say? Somebody said, well, you know what we do? We tell them it's a combination of two other colors. Somebody actually said that in the audience. It's a combination of two other colors. Well, obviously that's problematic, right? And then, I, then somebody said, well, you might try to describe temperature. You might try to describe temperature. Place their hand on something that is very cool. And perhaps some kind of color would come flashing through their, their eyes. And you know, most people who are blind, they generally see a variety of colors. But mainly they see black and they see white. And so imagine this. Here they are. They're trying to find, figure out how would you describe color to somebody who was born blind. And here's the thing, oftentimes in trying to describe heaven, it's a very similar dynamic. Here we are, all we know is of earthly things. We were born in this planet, all we know is of sin. And for us to try to describe heaven, it's similar to us, somebody trying to describe color to somebody who's born blind. It's just an impossible thing to do. Thankfully, God has given us his word, amen? And in his word, we see these beautiful glimpses of heaven. And as we begin to see more and more of these glimpses of heaven, God is trying to show us what our eternal place and position will be throughout all the infinite ages. Amen? Now what's very interesting, the Bible says something in 1 Corinthians. It says, I has not seen nor what? Ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You know what's so interesting? Take a good look at what Paul is saying right here. Paul is saying, look, there is nothing on earth that you have ever seen that could compare with the glories of heaven. There is no earthly reference that would work in trying to describe heaven. He says there's nothing audible that you could ever hear that would be able to articulate what heaven is all about. In fact, one day in 2 Corinthians, Paul begins to say, hey, I went to heaven and I saw things that are unlawful for any man to speak about. Now just think about it. What in the world did he actually see? That he actually had to describe it as, it was unlawful for me to talk about it. I could not articulate this. Any attempt to articulate heaven, I would just be slaughtering the picture. And the reason why we need to understand this more and more is because as we are coming down to that final lap, to that final moment, God is wanting us to see the end picture more and more clear. Amen? 
You know what I really love about the second coming? What I really love about the second coming is the mo- one of the most popular, most uh, just strongest verses when it comes to the second coming. It's found in 1 Thessalonians. How many people here could quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for me? Yes, not the whole chapter. Verses 16 or 17 through 19. How many people could probably, you don't even have to quote it word for word. How many people here could probably tell me, yeah, I could probably in some way explain or describe what's written in 1 Thessalonians. How many people could do that? Okay, I'm looking down now. I can see you guys. Oh, there you guys all are. Okay, probably a good number of you, right? Now, now notice what the Bible says. Take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the beginning of heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, let's go there. And by the way, all the books of the New Testament that start with T are right next to each other and they're all alphabetized. So we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus all together. And we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, go all the way to verse 16. Notice what the scripture says right here. For the Lord himself will what? Descend from heaven with a what? Shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the bum ba da ba the trump of God. That's exactly right. And the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. You know, one day I was preaching an evangelistic series, and I was talking about the second coming, and just how the second coming initiates heaven. And so what I told the people was this very interesting story about one day. One day, there was this little old lady who come to church every single Sabbath. Every single Sabbath, she would come to church. She'd sit up in the front row. She'd wear the exact same dress every single Sabbath. She'd go there and go right in that cushion dent that was made right by her for many years. She'd go there every single Sabbath. She would get there before church started, before Sabbath school started. And she would get there right as the deacons were trying to open up. And if they were late, she'd give them a hard time. So she'd get there and sit down. And everyone knew who she was. Very faithful. And one day, as people are starting to come into church, there she was. And, you know, people were coming to fill in the pews and things. All of a sudden, before the pastor got there, the doors of the back of the church go, they open up. And this man in a trench coat begins walking up to the front. Walks right up to the front. Walks right up to the pulpit and says, I'd like to make an announcement. I am Jesus. And I have come back for my people. And everyone was just like freaking out. They didn't know what to do. And none of the elders were in sight. The pastor wasn't there. And so all the deacons didn't know what to do either. So they're just all looking. And this man is saying, I am Jesus. And I have come back to save you. They're all looking at that scene. All of a sudden that little old lady stands up and she says, are you Jesus? And everyone's thinking to themselves, she has finally lost it. She's been sitting in that pew over and over again. Too much potluck. It's just she has finally lost it. Finally lost it. And the woman says, are you Jesus? And the man says, I am Jesus. And she's like, oh, praise the Lord. Then you must love the Bible as well as I do. And she, he says, yes, I wrote the Bible. And then she says, could you read a special verse for me? He's like, yes. She says, can you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting with verse 16? The man says, okay. So he opens up the Bible, fumbling through, and finally he finds it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And he says, 
For the Lord himself, that's me, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And he looks right up at that woman, and this time she ain't smiling. She's looking at him with a hard look. <laughs> she said, I didn't hear any shout. <laughs> I didn't hear any trumpet. And my dead husband hasn't arisen from the grave. You ain't Jesus. <laughs> and that man was so embarrassed, he got off that pulpit, and he right, walked right outside, never to be seen again. But you know what is so beautiful about this powerful verse? Paul says this verse was given to comfort the people of God. Now I want you to read something, something that most people just miss. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting with verse 16. For the Lord himself will what? Descend from heaven with a what? Shout. And with the voice of an archangel and with a bum ba da ba Trump of God. Now notice the next part. And the dead in Christ will what? Rise first and we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now notice this. This is a very important point And a point that oftentimes is missed. The very first priority of Jesus when he comes back to this world is to raise the dead in Christ. Now, it's not just describing a sequence, saying God, will just chooses the dead in Christ, and then he wants to translate the righteous who are living. No, this is very intentional. The very first priority of God is to raise the dead, even before the righteous are translated. Now, here's the question. Why? Because here's the thing. Those who are living at the time of Christ still have a very active, present communion with God. Amen. But God misses the communion of Abraham. God misses the communion of David. God misses the communion of many of the patriarchs that have passed away. People who were called the friend of God. And so the very first thing, the very first priority God has on his heart, he's like, I miss Abraham. I miss my best friend. I miss Adam. Can you imagine that? Like the very first priority, God wants to resurrect these people because he misses the communion he had with them. You're thinking the God of the infinite universe enjoys communion? Ladies and gentlemen, God called Abraham his friend. His friend. Not just his servant. But he called him his friend. He called Adam. The Bible says in Luke, Adam was a son of God. Now just imagine this. The very first thing God has on his heart, he's like, I want these people to live again because I want to talk to them again. And this is such a powerful thought because it helps us to recognize God misses communion with his people. Those that have passed away and sleeping in the grave, their memory is, is in the heart and mind of God, but the living, active communion is, has ceased. And until the second coming, Jesus is waiting anxiously to resurrect these people. Can you say amen to that? And as we begin to understand this 
beautiful, beautiful picture of God and his people, thoughts will begin to encourage us more and more that God wants to spend time with us. Now notice what Ellen White says right here. This is such an amazing thought when it comes to heaven. Everything will be developed. Every, excuse me, every power will be developed. Every, I can't read this without falling over. Capability increase. The grandest enterprises will be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations will be reached. The highest ambitions realized. And, there's, and still there will arise new heights to surmount. New wonders to admire. New truths to comprehend. Fresh objects to call forth the powers of body and mind and soul. Can you say amen to that? Can you imagine as God begins to show us more and more of what heaven is all about? When he begins to pull the curtains back and we realize that there is this universe that has been waiting for us. Waiting for us and cheering us on as we make our way to New Jerusalem. Can you imagine that moment? Where we have felt like we were some of the, the most worst, most just feel like people who had no honor, no just interest. There was nothing in this world that gave us anything. And yet we felt like we were the most despised. But when we go through the heavens and God begins to pull back the curtains, we're going to realize that the entire universe was watching our lives. The entire universe. The Bible says we are a spectacle unto men and angels. And can you imagine that? Here we thought we were alone in this world. Here we thought we were just, we had no honor in this world. Here we thought we were the lowest of the lowest. No real, no real power in this world. Yet God begins to show us that was in exactly a wrong picture. That God, that all of heaven. And I love what Ellen White says. She says our world is an atom compared to what God has really created. Now, how many people have ever seen Adam before? I'm not talking about A-D-A-M. A-T-O-M. Now, unless you've seen maybe a 3D image, you can't see an atom. Now, that's so interesting because you begin to recognize, wait a minute, how small is our planet? You know, there's actually two concepts when it comes to the universe. There is the revealed universe. In other words, what astrophysicists and astronomers has actually been able to see or at least understand the sort of the fringes of. And they call that the revealed universe. But there are so many models that are being produced on how big the universe actually is. It's far bigger. And science is catching up to what the spirit of prophecy has been saying for such a long time that God has created unnumbered worlds. Unnumbered worlds. And all of this, God will begin to show and reveal to his people. And it's going to be an exciting thing. And you know what is going to hit us? You know, I was telling somebody the other day, they were, um, it was during a, a Vespers program. They asked this question. Hey, what is going to be your favorite thing about heaven? What's going to be your favorite thing about heaven? And people were saying this, this. And I thought about it. And my response was this. My favorite thing about heaven is when everyone is just going to have their jaw dropped for the first thousand years. What will you say? I mean, what, what kind of boasting could you give? You say, I came from this kind of, what could you actually share when you get to heaven? What kind of claim could you make? When we get to heaven, we're just going to be like. I mean, we're laughing, but you're going to be doing that. We're going to be so blown away. 
by how big heaven is, how beautiful this place is that God has been preparing for us. And that's why the Bible says, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. God has so much in store. Notice what the Bible says right here in Revelation chapter 21. The city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who, who are saved shall walk in its light. And notice what the Bible says next. And the what? Kings of the earth shall bring their glory and their what? Honor to it. You know what the Bible says? The Bible teaches that we're going to be given crowns. The Bible teaches that we're going to be given robes. The Bible teaches we'll be given thrones. Now, what kind of people have thrones, robes, and crowns? Kings. The Bible says in First Revelation chapter 1, we're actually going to be called kings and priests. We're going to be kings and priests. But do you know when we're called to be priests when we get to heaven? For the first thousand years. Read Revelation 20. Do you know when we're actually given the title of being king? Continue to read Revelation. And it's when God restores the earth. Now what is the difference between a priest and a king? A priest is someone who has spiritual judgment and spiritual rulership. What is a king? Someone that actually has physical land. And it's only after God recreates this world... And he begins to share it with the rest of humanity and the meek shall inherit the earth. This beautiful title, this beautiful title of being prince and princesses with God, God will give to us. Can you imagine that? Here we are, we just think we have nothing to offer in this world. There is no value to what we are and what we have. Our backgrounds, our faults, our idiosyncrasies. And we think to ourselves, what do I have to give? Because of Jesus and his righteousness. And because of his goodness is why we have these things in store for us. Amen? You know, I was in the back and I was saying, Lord, give me a verse to share with the congregation. It's just a powerful verse. The Bible says in Psalm 89, it says this. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. You know what's going to be the song on our lips? The mercies of God. Praising God for his goodness the fact that we don't deserve to be there. And more and more as God re reveals his glory and just how big this universe is, more and more we're going to realize how unworthy we really are. You know, oftentimes I've had dreams. And in my dreams, and sometimes when it's not just the dreams, it's my imagination, I picture myself in heaven. I picture myself in that place, that beautiful place where all they have these streets of gold and all of nature. I just imagine myself in heaven. And the one thing that really hits me is when I get to spend that moment walking with Jesus. Walking, by, walking with Jesus by a beautiful lake and just talking to him. You know, Ellen White says something quite extraordinary about the time that we have in heaven. She says these things. All that has developed, all that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world, excuse me, will in the world to have come to, I cannot read that from here. Okay, here it is. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made what? Plain. The things hard to be understood will then find explanation. The mysteries of grace will be unfolded, be, will unfold before us. Where our finite minds discovered only what? confusion and broken promises. In other words, when we try to piece together our lives, trying to find providence oftentimes between this and event and that event, all we see is like, God, I don't understand why this happened. Look what she says right here. 
Where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. We shall now know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seemed most trying. And you know what we're going to do? As God begins to help us look back and review our lives, we're going to start seeing the dots connect. We're going to look back, not from the perspective we now have, a linear perspective, but we're going to have an aerial perspective. And as we begin to see, we're going to recognize more and more, I understand now. I understand what God was up to. I begin to understand that God didn't cause that bad experience, but that in spite of it, he brought great good out of it. And I'm going to see all the goodness of God. And I can't wait for that moment when I get to walk and talk with Jesus alone. Because I have much to talk to him about, don't you? Don't you want to be able to talk to Jesus personally one day? Can you imagine that moment where the creator of the universe and you are side by side, looking deep into his eyes and he knows everything about you and you know him? Can you imagine that moment? At that moment, I would just, I just imagine myself, that moment, that one second of just walking, it's going to dawn on me. Heaven is cheap enough. It was all worth it for this one moment that I could be before the creator. God has so much in store for us, amen? Revelation 2 verse 17 says this, To him who what? Overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a what? White stone and on the stone a new what? Name written on it which no one knows except him who what? Receives it. Now let me ask you a question. In the Bible did God give new names? Yes or no? Yes, he gave Jacob the what? New name of what? Israel. He gave Peter a new, or he gave Simon a new name. What was his name? Right, it's not Pope, it's Peter, right? Right? He gave James and John a new name. What name did he give them? Sons of Thunder. Did he give anybody else new names? Did he give Abram a new name? What was his name? Abraham. Did he give Sarah a new name? There you go, Sarah. He gave Sarah. Yes, that's exactly right. Anytime you see that, God giving new names, you ready for this? It generally has to do with a particular struggle the individual had. In other words, the new name was given in response to overcoming the struggle or identifying the struggle that they had in their life. So when God begins to give these new names, following the pattern of scripture, one begins to understand that God is going to give you a name that's going to be reflective of the experiences of struggling that you had with God. Can you imagine that? Can you just think about that? That moment when God is like handing you this beautiful rock. The other day I talked about it. You know, I talked about you were expecting this. Yes, Lord, I'm getting this powerful warrior name. Lightning, thunder. And you get... Lonely caterpillar. But you know what it means. You and the Lord know what it means. You know exactly what it means. Nobody else may fully understand, but you and Jesus know exactly what that stone, what that wording means on that stone. You know what it means. You know what it means. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8? For by what? Grace are you saved? Through faith and not of what? works, right? Lest any man should boast. We know that verse, but do you know the very next verse says that we are his workmanship? Do you know the word workmanship is the word polemia? It means like poem or song. You know what the Bible is saying? 
that God is making a song out of you. He's making this beautiful line in this song of the universe. And your life will be a line in that beautiful song about God's goodness and his glory. Can you say amen to that? God has so much in store for us. Can you imagine when we get to heaven one day, and can you think about just all the amazing people who get to heaven, who didn't quite have the light that you have today? Can you imagine the story of many of the Jews and many people who repented? Can you think of the Magi, who all they had was the little light that the king of Jews was born? Can you imagine when Jesus begins to explain the rest of the story? of great men and women who were faithful to God and lived up to the light they have. They will come before the Creator. In fact, in fact Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, tells us a future glimpse of something that will take place. And one will say to him, what are these, what? Wounds between your arms. And by the way, Ellen White also used it in a similar context. Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of what? My friends, apparently the Bible is showing us a particular story that will take place in heaven. One where people who don't have all the light about the gospel story will get there and they're going to be quite blown away when they notice that they have these perfect bodies, everyone else has perfection, and they're looking and they're watching and they see that the creator has scars. He has scars. You know, one day... I was talking to my uncles, and my uncles are just these very adamant Hindus. I mean, they, they, they'll come in with red dots just right after worshiping at the temple just to say hi to me. And the previous times, it always got into an altercation argument, didn't work with them. Talking to them and trying to prove them didn't work. Never works. And so my uncles was about to go away to India. I went upstairs and I prayed, say, Lord, I may never see them again. They're in bad health. I may never see them again. God, help me to share gospel truth with them. Help me to share it the way you want me to. I got on my knees, and right before they went, about to leave, I walked right downstairs. I sat down with them. I was just talking to them, and the inevitable question begins to come up. So what does pastoring mean? And so I began to share with them, and I didn't ask any questions. They were asking the questions. I knew God was leading and then they asked, so you guys believe in the Bible? Why do you guys believe in the Bible? And so I began to share from the Bible. And then they wanted to understand so about salvation. And it was just, I was like, man, God is blessing. But when I began to talk about salvation, they became quite confused. I tried to break it down in the most simplest of language and words to them. They didn't get it. And finally I paused and I said, Lord, help me right now. And so they kept talking. Then they started turning each other back and forth. And then they looked at me and said, you know what's so amazing? The Bible describes a future scene where people who weren't Christians, you know how you know these people aren't Christians? Because Jesus is saying to them, or they're saying to Jesus, why do you have these wounds? Which tells us they're people who didn't quite have full understanding of the gospel story. Another thing is, they, Jesus says, I was wounded in the house of my friends. He's explaining more of the rest of the context of Judaism. And I said, you know, there's going to be people in heaven one day who lived up to the light that they had, and they're going to come before the Creator. And as they're there, they're going to look upon Him, and they're going to notice scars on His hands. And as I was saying it, my uncles were just like, 
listening. And I sensed at that very moment that light was penetrating into their hearts and minds about who the creator is. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be so blown away by what God does and the beautiful pictures we're going to see in heaven. Those experiences that we're going to see. We're going to see where Jesus hands, hands the fruit from the tree of life back to Adam. Can you imagine that? Hand it right back to Adam. That's going to be a wonderful moment. There's going to be these powerful moments, these, these scenes that are going to take place in heaven. And it's going to blow our mind away. You know what the Bible says in Luke chapter 12? Blessed are those servants to whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and what? Serve them. God's going to sit down the righteous upon this long table. You can see the end of the table. You get on its side, it keeps going and going and going. You sit down, and the Bible says something quite remarkable in this parable. It describes a moment where Jesus himself will start feeding people. The king of the universe, here he is, and he's serving us. Can you imagine that moment? These glimpses in heaven. You know, oftentimes we look at heaven as sort of this glorified Disneyland. I'm so excited about the animals. Don't get me wrong about this, okay? I love the fact that we'll have huge vegetarian lions. I love the fact that we'll have vegetarian polar bears. I love that fact. But if that's what heaven's all about, after a million years, I'm probably going to get bored. And so will you. There's something that's even beyond that. Something that will satisfy us and keep calling us to yearn more and more. That will be greater than eternity, time itself. That will keep calling us to more and more, wanting more and more. And satisfying, yet not fully satisfying us. And that will be Jesus. Amen? That will be Jesus. You know, I use this analogy sometimes because this analogy really works. Do you know that in bungee jumping, when people jump off, like, say, a particular height... Bungee jumping is not measured about how low you can get to the ground. Amen? It's not like, well, I came 20 feet to the ground. I came 30 feet. Generally, there's a standard of how low you should be going. But bungee jumping is measured by the distance of the jump. So someone may say to you one day, they're going to be like, wow, I jumped from a 500-foot bridge. You would say, that's quite impressive. That was a, a big distance that you jumped down. But somebody else may say to you, I jumped down from a thousand foot bridge. And you say, whoa, that gets even more intense. Somebody says, I jumped off a plane. Still attached to the plane, of course. And you would say, whoa, that's even more intense. In other words, bungee jumping's intensity is measured by the distance of the jump. And you know what's going to blow our mind away about Christ? You know, for us, we're thinking, yeah, Jesus, he's God in heaven. The guy that lives beyond the clouds. But when we get to heaven, we're going to realize more and more about God. And we're going to realize that the condescension wasn't God just simply coming from this place to this place. We're going to realize more and more about the glory of God. And as we recognize more and more the glory of God, all of a sudden the condescension begins to become bigger. And through all of eternity, the glory of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the condescension becomes wider and wider and wider and wider. And we're going to recognize Jesus didn't jump off 500 feet to become a man. He didn't jump off 1,000 feet. More and more as we understand the glories of God, more and more the condescension will become even more mind-blowing, more powerful, 
more amazing, more marvelous, more majestic. It's going to become more and more. All of that we think about because we're going to be amazed that the infinite, eternal God of the universe became a man on a planet you couldn't even see compared to what God has created. Heaven has so much in store for us. Heaven has so much in store for us. So much. You know, one day I heard the story. It's a very controversial story. People don't know if it's very true. There's controversy about whether or not it actually took place. But the point still remains. There was a lady, a journalist, who went to New York City because she had heard some unusual stories. She went there and she began to do this investigation because she was told that there was a group of people that were living in the subways that were abandoned. And they had a particular name. They were called the Mole People. And she heard different stories about them. She went to the police office and she says, hey, can one of you guys go with me as I go to investigate these subways and see if these Mole People are really there? They said, we're not going in there. We don't have that kind of manpower. But she decides anyway she's going to go there. She wrote a book about it. And she describes in her book the experiences that took place when she got there. She got there and she began to find almost this subterranean, underground society that was existing in these tunnels. These people didn't go out. And there was this almost this like makeshift city. And these people were in rags. And oftentimes they would eat and whatever, like trash came through. They lived in the sewers. She describes one time... Uh, uh, somebody who says, I'm going to show you how I get my food. He took one of his friends, put the, he had his friend put his arm in a hole, and as he pulled his arm out, there was this giant sewer rat gnawing on his arm. Grabbed it, threw it into the fire, and began to cook it. And she describes this, these mole people had a way of living, and she asked them a question. She says to them, don't you want to leave? I mean, don't you want to just, you know, change your life? I mean, isn't there something better than this? And you know what these mole people told her over and over again? We're happy where we are at. God is looking down upon heaven. The angels of God are looking down upon heaven. And they're seeing this world. And they're calling out from heaven. Calling out from heaven. Why do you want to stay in this world? Why is it that this world seems more beautiful to you when the reality is God has something far more beautiful in store? Like these mole people, they had gotten so used to their way of life, so used to living and enjoying the things of that underground world that the world above was no longer desirable. And it's the same way with earth and heaven. God is calling for his people to wake up to this reality. He has so much in store for you. So much in store for you. And he wants to bless you. He wants to give all of eternity for you. He wants to place this before you. And he wants you to have this hope that when this happens, you will not look back, but you will praise God. 
and the song on your lip will be the mercies of God forever and ever and ever. Lord, thank you for waking me up to the reality of what heaven truly is all about. I can't wait for that day, ladies and gentlemen, and as I see this world going darker and darker, I see things that are happening, not just in our church, but right there on the outside as well, right there on the fringes, and you see this darkness starting to come in. You see the world is falling apart. And it's times like this we should be reminded that heaven is our home. Heaven is our home, not this world. Heaven is our home. That is our final home, that's our destination. And I want my life to be revealing that, that I'm a citizen of another country, a heavenly country. The clothes of this world should stop fitting. And it's heavenly clothes that I want to start wearing. It's heavenly talk that I want to start having. It's heavenly vision that I want to start seeing. God wants to give this to you. Heaven is not too far away. We're coming down to that final lap. That final lap. Tomorrow is promised to no man, Jesus says. But heaven is a promise. Heaven is a promise. You know, I share this beautiful story because it just really strikes at the core of my heart. It's the story of Theodore Roosevelt coming back from Africa after several days of hunting big animals. Gets off this ship that's just parked into this harbor. And as he's getting off this ship, there's this great fanfare. There's so much balloons, and everyone's so excited about Theodore Roosevelt. He has returned from his hunting trip after killing animals for several days. And the people behind him, his servants, are carrying these big old animal carcasses. The balloons are up there. Everyone's cheering the, the pictures. At the same time, there was a harbor way across the way, and another smaller ship had docked. And an old man and woman get off the ship. And as they get off the ship, there's no fanfare. There's no balloons. There's no photographers. You see, these people had been missionaries in Africa for 20 years. They had raised up different churches. And they walk off that dock and they look and they see right across the way what's happening with Theodore Roosevelt. The husband turns to his wife and says, honey, why is it that we who have spent 20 years of our life, we sacrifice for the gospel? There's nobody here for us. But this man who goes to Africa to kill some animals, when he gets off the boat, there's this great cheer. And his wife turns to him and says these words, Honey, it's because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. One day, we will step upon the ground of New Jerusalem. The gates will be open and heaven's heirs will come, just come rushing in. And we will sigh because we are finally, finally home. Do you want to be there? You want to be there? How important is heaven to you? How important is heaven to you? How important is Jesus to you? Are you willing to give up the things of this world? 
ambitions and plans, lay them at the feet of Jesus, willing to surrender everything and all for him? Is that your desire? You know, we're going to be doing something very interesting. If you notice right there on your seats, you'll notice there is a card there. I want you to take this card out right now. And if you need a pen, just raise your hand. Some of the GYC people will help you. But take a good look at this. It's time to make a decision. Angels are by our sides right now marking this very moment to see what kind of decisions we'll make for God. What kind of decisions will we have for Jesus today? What looks like an ordinary day, eternity is converging upon this moment. Some people will be gaining their eternal positions today. That place marked for them in heaven because of the decisions they make today. I want you to put your name there, dorm, your phone, your email, and I want you to check mark these categories if it's your desire that you would like prayer. You say, God, I want people to pray for me. I want you to mark that. You mark that if you need prayer. You would like Bible studies. Perhaps you were baptized and you're needing to go through. You need to know, why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? And God wants to help in that process. So he's laid it upon the heart of the GYC people. If you need Bible studies, you mark that. If you're interested in being baptized, I want you to mark that. Being re-baptized, you're saying, Lord, I've awakened to what you're doing. Did you know in 1888, when they begin to preach the message of righteousness by faith, even the many Seventh-day Adventist ministers were being re-baptized because their hearts were so touched by the love of God. You mark that if that's your desire. You want somebody to come visit you. Need somebody to come by and cancel, pray or visit, pray with you. You mark that. You're saying, Lord, I'm interested in being part of the GYC ministries. I love what's going on. I want to be a part of that. You don't know what your talents are yet, but when you start getting involved in ministry, you're going to start seeing what God does. These are the times that God is calling us. I'm going to invite Danny up here. And as she's singing this song, make it your prayer, Lord. Make it your prayer to God himself and say, Lord, I want to commit my life to you. I want to lay aside self and what I want, and I want to follow Jesus. I want heaven to be my final home. I want heaven to be my final home. This is the time. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just come to you at this very moment. We don't have words to say. There's nothing that we could express out of our lips. God, we come to you with our hearts. We give them to you, Lord. And we ask that you would seal it. Seal it for the courts above. God, we can't save ourselves. We cannot make it to heaven by ourselves, Lord. We're asking, Lord, that you would be faithful in that. That you would do whatever the cost to see us in heaven one day, and not just us, but our friends and our family as well. Lord, we give ourselves to you right now and ask in the name of Jesus 
that you would answer this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that we will sing of the mercies of God forever and ever. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.